0: hard about the words I'm using. I don't have to translate myself out of Yorkshire into some other tongue. And um, it's just very good to be with you and to to be sharing. Last time uh, I was with you, we were in the book of Judges, focusing on an unnamed woman and her named Husband and their account with the Lord, but it was it was the woman that we focused on particularly, uh, that godly uh, woman who listened to the Lord and uh, to His message to them both. She was in many ways the heart of the story. Well, for the last two weeks, you've been in this book, which um, is named after uh, a woman at the heart of. The story. And, um, and in case you've forgotten from just the opening words of the book, this is in a very, very similar period uh, to the one that we were thinking about uh, uh, a few weeks ago in the book of Judges. This is in the period of, of the Judges, a period that was difficult in the land of Israel in all sorts of ways, Uh, And we discover in this book that it wasn't just um, political and uh, trouble with um, uh, raiding armies coming in and spiritual uh, with people defecting away from God and uh, experiencing God's judgment from those Philistine armies. But we discover in this book uh, that there were other difficulties as well, including famine in the book of Ruth the women are all named and um, uh, as we've said it's named after her one of the uh, relatively few books of the Bible that are named after people and uh, this is one of the ones that's named after a lady at one level you could read it just simply as a delightful love story I mean, this would make a great film. (laughs) Uh, It's it's a lovely, lovely love story. But the story gains its power, like so many classic love stories, because it plays out in a desperate context of deep distress and risk. You won't get, um, spoiler alert, you won't get to the happy ending until you get to Ruth 4, the happy ever after ending. But here in Ruth 3 that we've had read for us this morning, the romance between Ruth and Boaz begins to heat up. But let me remind you of the desperate circumstances Uh, that led to this romance. Here is a family now reduced to just these two women, Naomi and Ruth, a family which had faced disaster upon disaster. To give it a bit of a local feel, um, back in the 1840s, the population of the Beeston Road running down from what was then the village of Beeston in towards central Leeds was growing rapidly as the city's industrialisation and and its size developed. And um, some of that growth was powered by the arrival of Jewish and Irish families, escaping pogroms and famines, famine in Ireland in particular, those disasters which were um, to blight uh, the Jewish people uh, through the century and previously and since, and which were to blight Ireland throughout the 19th century. And uh, the pictures you see up there are uh, pictures of the Quarry Hill area, um, slightly different, but I couldn't find pictures right of, of, of this part of, of Greater Leeds. But um, there were terrible conditions uh, in this part of... ...of Leeds and over there in Quarry Hill uh, in those years. So you can imagine an Irish couple arriving with their two sons. The local community would have recognised their accents... uh, ...just as much as they would have recognised the accent of of a young lad... ...arriving in Giggleswick from Torquay. Uh, But they made friends... Sadly, um, sadly for this imaginary family in my mind, the husband got ill and died. Actually, it's uh, this whole area of, of what's become sort of greater leads, as it were, uh, was bedevilled with typhus and um, cholera. During, during the 19th century outbreak after outbreak and if you go to some of the uh, graveyards around the area you can see groups of people even even up in the graveyard in, in Beeson you can see groups of 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 people, slightly different ages, clearly in the same families from the graveyards, who've died in very close proximity to each other. And uh, I guess, in all likelihood, I haven't done the research on the individuals, I guess, in all likelihood, they passed through uh, typhus or cholera or something like that. And further down here, downhill, um, where the, the streams that just flowed in the streets carried all sorts of stuff, people got seriously sick and many many died well you can imagine this Irish family pitching up and the husband dies and then, and then the, the wife uh, she's left with her two sons thankfully they, they find local lasses to marry but tragically not long after the weddings the uh, two sons also fall ill Perhaps not only because of the fevers that were around, but because of of malnutrition and all of that, and working very hard in some of the blast furnaces. I don't know where they worked, you know, they were just in my imagination. I haven't thought about where they worked. Possibly the blast furnaces up in the hills, or maybe in one of the mills down in in the valley. And, uh, And these two lads die. So here's this Irish lady, two daughters in law, desperate, eh? Well, that was the kind of situation that faced Naomi and her daughters-in-law. Naomi is a Yahweh worshipping woman with these two Moabite young women in her home. And she says, look, I'm going to have to go back to Bethlehem from Moab. There's, there's, there's nothing for me here. I, I mean, I, I don't know how I'll survive here. And Ruth chooses to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem, where Naomi owns lands inherited from her husband. Ruth chooses to go because she wants to be with Naomi, who she's come to love, and she wants to follow Naomi's God, whom she's come to love as well. But there are still risks for these two women, Unless there were people in Naomi's home community to protect them, how how would she rebuild her life? And what kind of life would Ruth have with her? As I've said, the book starts ominously by telling us that this was the period of the judges. There were external risks from uh, marauding Philistine uh, bandit groups but there was also lawlessness and godlessness in the lands of Israel. How would Ruth be received back in Bethlehem that she's never visited before to the best of our knowledge? She's just lost her husband. We, we have a friend whose husband passed away um, uh, a, a couple of uh, couple of years ago and where he comes from it was common it is common still for the wife to be held spiritually responsible for the passing of a husband well we're not told uh, that there's any indication of that kind of superstition in play in Bethlehem but how would Ruth be treated as this young widow of a young man from the Bethlehem area. Would she be treated with kindness? And of course, there was, there was the risk not just for her that she came from somewhere different. We don't know how different Moabite language was, incidentally, from, from Hebrew of, of the day. But the Moabites and the Hebrew speakers have been separated for some hundreds of years, so quite probably quite different. Now, doubtless, she'd learned some Hebrew. She'd, she'd lived with, with Ruth and uh, with Naomi and, and, the, and the family. But I doubt whether her accent was perfect Hebrew accent, right? And maybe she stumbled over her words. She wouldn't, she wouldn't be able to hide that she was a Moabite. She wasn't a native Hebrew speaker. And the people of God weren't supposed to marry Moabites. Not out of some kind of of simple prejudice, but because Moabite people were idolaters, worshipping other gods, and moreover, traditional enemies of the Israelites. And we get hints uh, in chapter 2 that as a young woman... With no man to protect her, she was at risk of harassment, potentially sexual assault from some of the Bethlehemite men in this period of lawlessness. So here they are, these two women, seriously at risk. Will this community welcome them? Will they find provision and protection? Well, in chapter 2, as you were seeing last week, we see that the beginnings of provision and protection that the Lord has prepared for them are starting to blossom in this community. Naomi allows Ruth to go and glean in the fields to just go and pick up bits of corn that were left over after the harvesting. And... um, it so happens that she finds herself gleaning in the field of a farmer of good repute, Boaz, a relative of Naomi's husband. And when Boaz is doing his rounds, he asks his farm manager, who who she is? Who's that young woman over there? I've not seen her before. It's clear that uh, that the local community have heard of the kindness this has been talked about in the local community small community, you know it is in small communities. People talk. And uh, 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 the people in the community have heard of the kindness of Naomi and heard of her faith in the God of the Bible. And so for Boaz, as he realizes who this is and, and the, the reputation that Ruth has been building for herself, for Boaz, the fact that she is a Moabite is totally outweighed by her faith and by her character. Mind you, Boaz's mother wasn't originally a Hebrew speaker, wasn't originally an Israelite, too. So he had a background that made him perhaps a little more receptive understanding than some others may have had. But he's certainly a man of good character. And so Boaz's men are told not to touch her. And he makes provision for her and for Naomi, ensuring that she's able to glean a good amount of barley that day. He makes provision for them materially and in terms of Ruth's personal security well when she gets back uh, Ruth tells Naomi about her amazing day and uh, Naomi is thrilled and let me remind you you read it last week I know uh, but let me remind you of Naomi's response to her daughter-in-law in in chapter 2 verse 20 May he, meaning Boaz, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She's thrilled. She prays a blessing on Boaz. um, And she recognizes that this provision of Boaz's protection and provision uh, is ultimately from the Lord who is being kind to them. And um, the key words, though, that we find in that verse are what she says next. He's a special person. He's something that is called a kinsman redeemer in the Hebrew language. It's just one short word, but it has those those ideas of redemption. For listen to what. Uh, Naomi says to her daughter-in-law in verse 20 in the second half of it, Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, if we're going to understand, and I dare say that Naomi had to explain this to Ruth, because Ruth wasn't from there, as we know. And this is very particular to the Israelite people. We need to understand uh, that there are two provisions in the Old Testament law that were relevant for a widow like Ruth. They aim to preserve, uh, preserve families, and particularly a family line and family inheritance. And And the first one, the first is the expectation that a childless widow should not be left by her husband's family without a husband or children, but that a partner should be found for her from within her husband's family. This protects her and it protects the family. And the second provision, a somewhat separate provision, but in this case overlapping, is that a family member who is at risk should be provided for by a relative who acts as, and the language is, a redeemer. The risk could be because of poverty or because of bereavement, as in this case, Or some other misfortune of life. And uh, someone male or female who faces such circumstances. Is to be provided for by the family. By the wider family. And in particular by someone who is called a redeemer. A close family member who is able to help. In both cases... Whether it's the provision of a husband and children and a family line, or the provision of, of material wherewithal to get someone out of difficulty. In both cases, the closer the relative, the greater the expectation that they should be the one to help. It was a way for the extended family, extended family community to care for those in the family who are in trouble but would Ruth the moabite be treated as family was there anyone who would bring her right into the community and provide for her and so we move into Ruth 3 the passage that that uh, uh, we've had read for us this morning And the secret engagement that happened at dead of night. It's very romantic, isn't it? Naomi, when Ruth gets home and she said, look, this guy, this guy is our potential help. He's been kind to you already. And uh, he's in place to be a kinsman redeemer, to look after you, to look after us. So she, Naomi, knowing the culture and knowing how to navigate it, hatches a plan with Ruth. It's a make-or-break move. Ruth is to dress for a date. She's to get herself ready. She's to anoint herself, you know, the right perfumes. And get her, her cloak on. She's to dress smartly. And uh, she's to go to Boaz at night. And when he's settled down for the night, after his hard day's work at the threshing floor, and after a good meal and some good wine, he's settled down for the night. Then she is to uh, lie down near him. Now, now get this right. She's not to lie down right next to him. There's nothing improper going on here. But um, the deal is she's to... Uncover his feet and then to lie down uh, close by. She does that. It's dark. He turns over in the night, perhaps because his feet are cold. And um, there's someone lying near his feet. And whether it's because he's got sleep in his eyes or it's too dark to see, he says, who's that? And she says, it's me, Ruth. And so the conversation goes on. I can imagine there's perhaps a little bit more to the conversation than is recorded for us because the Bible has to... Cut bits, you know, a bit like in films sometimes, you jump from one thing to another and, uh, what are you doing there? I wanted to be able to talk to you. Why? I want to ask you something. What do you want to ask in the middle of the night? I want to ask you to be my kinsman redeemer or to translate it into our terms will you marry me well what a question what follows is fascinating because he more or less says what me you want me I mean There's all these other younger guys around. Why me? Why are you being so kind to me? She thought she was asking him to be kind to her. And he says, what kind young woman you are. You've been kind to Naomi. I know, he knows that already. But he wants him to marry her. Well. She's, he's more than willing. As you can already tell. But. There's a problem. He says look. I will do as you say. But. There is someone closer. A closer. Kinsman redeemer. Now you remember I said. That that the deal was within how the structure of the culture worked was that it, it would normally be the closer relative who had the prior responsibility. And there was someone else. I will marry you, says Boaz, but we need to sort this out because if this other person is willing, then, then that's how it will have to be but I'm going to go and sort it out. Don't you worry. Stay where you are for the night. And then in the morning, he arranged for her to slip away early to avoid any misunderstanding. And she went on her way with a huge gift of grain for Naomi. And he set off for the day with business to do. And you'll find out what happens in chapter 4. But I've already given the game away. There's a happy ever after ending. Well that's, that's the story thus far. And I've tried to explain it carefully. Because we need to understand what's going on here. In order to draw out the implications. So let's draw out some of what this lovely story might mean for us. In, in the first place. Let's just notice one critical thing that we learn about how a church can be a welcoming community. How a church can be a welcoming community. Or how we can be welcoming in our wider community around here in this area of Leeds. Or how we can be welcoming in school or in the workplace or in college, wherever we are. But particularly for us as a church, I I want you to notice uh, that, that Ruth was a newcomer, as we said with the kids. And yet the people in this community weren't, it seems, being negative about her. Oh, she's just a Moabite. Oh, she's one of these idolaters. They didn't stereotype her. Already, people in the community are talking about her positively. You know how it is so easy for us to talk about um, people from other backgrounds. We use them and us language. They're like this. They're like that. And, and by implication we're saying not like us. Well, there was none of that going on here. There was no stereotyping. And there was a recognition of of Ruth's kindness and her faith. There was a kindness towards her in this community, even just by the way that they spoke about this new person coming in. How we need to be like that in our workplaces. Seasoning our conversations with positive things about people who are new. In our church life, being very positive about uh, those who come from elsewhere to join us and rejoicing in that and recognizing the positive things that they bring. This woman's care and generosity to her mother-in-law had been taken note of. People were talking about her not in a way that disadvantaged her. Well, may God help us to be like that. Welcoming churches are like that. Very positive in their speaking. But there's a second thing here. And this this is important too. Because... She found that there was an advocate in this community for her. That's what Boaz became, even in chapter two, before the sort of romance blossoms. There's an advocate for her in the community. This honorable man cared for newcomers. He, he spotted her. He asked about her. He made sure she was okay. He's not making a play for her. He's showing good neighbourly care. And a welcoming church will be populated by people who are like that. They spot the unfamiliar face. They introduce themselves, find out who they are, where they're from. Discover about their family. Seek to ensure that they're doing okay introduce them to others and say hey um this lady's just arrived this gentleman's just arrived I want to introduce you and so so they feel welcomed into the community now this is all very basic isn't it but it's important stuff to learn from God's words for sometimes we can we can arrive in church and we can look out for our friends the people we know to talk to Make a beeline for them at the end. But how much better to spot the new person and make a beeline for them and then introduce them to our friends. May God help us to be like that. But even those things aren't the biggest matter for us to draw on in chapter 3 you see it's possible to find a welcoming church community but Ruth needed a redeemer churches don't save people but there is a redeemer who does and he's a redeemer who offers himself for everyone here He's like Boaz, but even better. When you come to Ruth 4, you'll see more of the connection between Boaz and the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me spell it out for you. You see, you see, Boaz was a willing redeemer. His many, many, many times great grandson was a willing, is a willing redeemer for The law made it possible for Boaz to become Ruth's redeemer, the redeemer she needed. But Boaz was under no obligation. The law provided for that, but didn't oblige Boaz to become Ruth's redeemer. No, rather, he redeemed her out of love for her. He redeemed her because he cared for her. He had seen her, he knew her need, and when she asked him to become her redeemer, he was glad, very glad, to say yes. And you know the whole story of the Bible is written to tell us that there is a redeemer. This idea of of a redeemer goes right through the Old Testament, right into the New Testament, where it's applied ultimately, gloriously, to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a redeemer, Jesus, God's own son. And he he redeems in a way which, which is in accordance with God's law. He upholds God's justice. But he doesn't redeem out of obligation. It's not like his father says, Son, you've got to go and redeem these people. No, Jesus redeems us because he loves us, cares for you, sees our needs of salvation. Our need of a redeemer. Our need of someone who will bring us into his community of love. And ultimately into the place where he is to be his people for ever. Having forgiven us and provided for us. And he's willing, waiting Longing for you to ask him to become your redeemer. And when you do, he will. He never says no. It means to have him as your redeemer means becoming his. Ruth had had left her old life in in, uh, Moab. But Boaz, her redeemer, was glad to offer her a new one. And Jesus offers to those who are willing to leave their old life of following their own way. Which leads us into stuff that's wrong. Jesus is is willing for those who will leave their old life to give us a new life with him as our Redeemer. And there's another thing that you'll see more clearly in chapter four, so that's a spoiler alert, but I need to say it. It's already implicit, you see, in the context of Redeemer, because what do you what's a redemption? I mean, if you've got a voucher, how do you how do you cash it in? You redeem it, don't you? Well, well, the point is this, that redemption costs. And the cost is borne by the Redeemer because the one redeemed doesn't have the wherewithal to redeem themselves. And you see, that's true of us. We don't have the wherewithal to redeem ourselves. Jesus has paid the price for our redemption. Boaz was a wealthy man, and there's no hints that the cost of Ruth's redemption broke him. But the Lord Jesus Christ, though he came from all the glory and riches of heaven... Was broken. His very body was broken for our redemption. He died paying the price for our sin wrought lostness. He died and he rose again. He loves us and he's paid for us. So then I want to encourage you to do what Ruth did. You don't have to wait until midnight. You don't have to wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes. You can do it right now. You can ask him to be your redeemer, to save you, to give you the new life that he offers and which will last for all eternity. Won't you do that? We're going to sing a song as we close our service.